Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Stuart Schwartz, the George Burton Adams Professor of History at Yale University. Professor Schwartz specializes in the history of colonial Latin America, especially Brazil, and on the history of early modern expansion. Among his books are Sovereignty and Society in Colonial Brazil, Early Latin America, Sugar Plantations in the Formation of Brazilian Society, Slaves, Peasants, and Rebels, Cambridge History of Native Peoples of the Americas, and South America. He is presently working on several projects, a history of independence of Portugal and the crisis of Iberian Atlantic, 1620 to 1670, and a social history of Caribbean hurricanes. Today, however, we'll speak with him about his newest groundbreaking book, All Can Be Saved, Religious Tolerance and Salvation in the Iberian Atlantic World. So let's begin with an overview of your book and the premise? Well, this is a book about the history of tolerance, mm -hmm. not toleration the way it's usually understood, okay. by which uh, um, people usually mean state policy uh, regarding uh, religious freedom, but tolerance, the attitude of people towards the religion of, uh, of others, of their neighbors. And in that history, usually Spain and the Spanish world is left out because uh, it enters in only as an example of intolerance, mm -hmm. uh, the age of the Inquisition, uh, the uh, uh, suppression of uh, religious freedom. Uh, so the book is uh, somewhat distinct in that it emphasizes Spain and the origins of, of religious tolerance in Spain and the Spanish-speaking world. Okay. And what was your inspiration for writing the book? The inspiration came one cold winter evening when I was living in Minneapolis and I was reading a book by an Italian scholar, Carlo Ginzburg, called The Cheese and the Worms. Mm -hmm. It's about the, uh, the worldview of a, a very common man, a, a miller. And uh, when he was being questioned by the inquisitors, he said to them, well, of course he was a Catholic, but uh, if he had been brought up in uh, Amongst the Turks, he would have thought their religion was the right religion, and he would have found his salvation, because after all, God loves us all. And I thought at the time, gee, that's a curious thing to say for a man in the 16th century. Where did he get those ideas? Doesn't that sound uh, quite unlike what people ought to be thinking in the 16th century? I shut off the light and went to sleep and forgot all about it. Twenty years later, I was working in the Spanish archives and began to find indications of other people who thought exactly the same thing. And it struck me as very curious. How could that be possible in the age of the Inquisition that people would develop that kind of idea of toleration and the idea that salvation was possible in many religions? And that was the origins of the book. Okay, let's talk about your methodology a bit. You drew on an enormous body of historical evidence to write your book. Uh, tell us a little bit about the process and did you encounter any difficulties? Well, the Inquisition was a, a great bureaucratic institution and it was particularly interested in what people, not only what people did, but what they said, what they thought. And so it took very, very careful records. And while not all of those records have survived, many of them have. For the Portuguese Inquisition, we have over 40,000 cases. Wow. 
uh, for the Spanish Inquisition, also about 40,000. Uh, and so it's possible to reconstruct uh, these, uh, these cases. And these are some of the few instances when common people were recorded, mm -hmm. what they actually thought. So rather than being a, a study of intellectuals, it's possible to do a, a study of common people. And that's the great advantage that the Inquisition uh, gives us. It's a sort of a, almost a, a kind of contradiction that we owe so much to the life of and to the ideas of common people that through this uh, basically uh, ecclesiastical institution, but that's really the result of, uh, of this investigation. Okay, and your work um, really differs from much of the existing work uh, for this period. Um, talk about that a little bit. Well, the way that toleration, religious toleration, is usually explained or thought of is in the terms of great ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's uh, Erasmus, or Spinoza, or Rousseau, or John Locke. And they write uh, a kind of breakthrough book or essay, and then somehow that catches on, and uh, lo and behold, you get to the modern world, and religious toleration becomes accepted. But the traditional way to look at that is never to pay much attention at the reception of these ideas. How did the idea get from Locke's essay uh, on re religious uh, uh, tolerance, how did it get to become a general accepted idea? Mm -hmm. No one ever pays much attention to that. So what makes my book different is that it's interested in the common people, their ideas, their reception, and the interaction of their ideas with these great thinkers. In fact, the book goes beyond that to suggest that perhaps some of these ideas don't come from the great thinkers down to the people, but in fact go the other way around. Mm -hmm. That these ideas are already around, and it's the great thinkers synthesize them uh, and integrate them into an argument, even though these ideas aren't necessarily generated by them. So it's an inversion of the way in which we usually think of uh, intellectual change in wow. uh, history. And what conclusions do you reach in your book? Well, the conclusion is that um, one might argue that Spain had a peculiar history because uh, in the Middle Ages there were Muslims and Jews and Christians who lived together in Spain. And even though they didn't always get along together, nevertheless there was a certain uh, uh, everyday interchange and they understood each other uh, at least, even though they might not always like each other. And when the Spanish go to the New World, they encounter Indians and then later bring in Africans. And so there was already a kind of predisposition to accept other cultures, other ways of thinking. But one of the conclusions of the book is that this, this isn't a peculiarly Spanish phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And that if you scratch uh, deep enough in England or Italy or France or Germany, that you'll find the same ideas. It's just that the way in which we've written the history of the early modern world has basically, basically been in terms of, of uh, the struggle of religion. So nobody's looked much for cooperation or tolerance. They've always been interested in what dr drove people apart, not what drew them together. But if you scratch the surface a little bit, you can find lots of examples in Italy or England or, uh, or in France. 
And so uh, in that sense, the book, even though it's about Spain and, and, and uh, Port Spain, Portugal, and the, and the Iberian Atlantic world, that mm -hmm. is the Americas, uh, it concludes that, in fact, this is a more general European phenomenon and that we really need, need to rethink the whole idea of how toleration was born and became an aspect of the modern world. Fascinating. And um, last question, what was uh, one of the most surprising things you found in doing your research? Well, I think the willingness of people to contest <coughs> authority. Very simple people, uh, people with hardly any uh, education, were at some point came to a personal conviction that the church was wrong on this issue. Mm -hmm. The church's position, we have to remember, was there is no salvation outside the church. You had to be a member of the church in order to be saved. But common people, with their own sort of common sense, couldn't quite get it. They didn't understand how could an all-merciful God condemn so many people to eternal damnation? It didn't make sense to them. And so they sometimes even try to convince the inquisitors that the inquisitors are wrong. What's most curious about this is that these people were willing to stand up against the authority of the state and the authority of the church in order to make this argument. They had no personal gain in this. It wasn't that it was good for business because by this time there were no Jews in, uh, in Spain. There were no Muslims left in Spain. So there was no direct uh, economic uh, or personal benefit. But these people became convinced out of their belief. Some of them were skeptics. Some of them were atheists. But some of them thought of themselves as good Catholics mm -hmm. and simply thought on this particular issue that the church had got it wrong. In some way, these people are closer to the position of the Roman Catholic Church after Vatican II in the 20th century mm -hmm. than the inquisitors uh, were, who, the inquisitors that were trying to correct them uh, were to Vatican II. And so uh, the most interesting thing, I think, in, is that we have to listen to the voice of these common people. And the fact that they're uneducated doesn't mean uh, that they don't have a common sense understanding of the world and a desire to live in a better world, a world that they could foresee, one in which it didn't matter so much what church their neighbor went to so long as he was a good neighbor. Very good. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work. It's been a pleasure. For more information about Professor Schwartz and his work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.